you'll find your place in your Bible at Isaiah chapter 40 in verse 31. Isaiah chapter 40 in verse 31. And this morning I want to speak to you topically. I don't normally do that. Most of the time we take a text and we expound that text and then apply that text. But today I want to talk to you about something that is a common experience. As the last time I spoke about the assurance of salvation, a topic that we talked about today, I want to talk about a topic that's a common experience that all of us deal with at different times in our lives. And it's what I'll call today wilderness experiences. By wilderness experiences, I mean those times in your life when you feel like God is far away. You know, there's those moments in life when you feel as if the Lord is walking right by your side. You can sense his presence. Uh, you can feel his presence with you. But then you come to some experience in life, and it's as if, where is the Lord? I don't sense that closeness. I don't sense that nearness. I don't feel his presence near me. It's a moment when you pray and you wonder if God heard your prayer. It's as if heaven is brass and your prayers are bouncing off the, the brass ceiling and they're coming back to you. And you wonder, did they fall on the ears of God? Has he turned his ear away from me? And you have one of those moments or those moments in time when you have a wilderness experience. Or <clears throat> as sometimes it's characterized by the fact that you, you pick up your Bible and you used to read and you could find plenty of things inside your Bible as you were reading. God just sort of jumped off the pages of your Bible, and he was speaking to your heart, and he was saying things to you, and you knew it was God speaking, but, but now you've come to one of those moments in your life or one of those times in your life, and you open up your Bible, and it's as if it's dry. It's as if I get nothing out of it. It's, I read, and I don't see anything. I don't, I don't hear his voice uh, through his word speaking to me. Uh, I come to worship, and I, I'm a part of a, a church service, and I see everybody else smiling, and I see everybody else seemingly a part of and sensing the presence of God and the moving of the Spirit of God. But I stand there, and I, it's as if I, I'm in another world altogether, that I don't even belong in this place at this moment, that somehow I don't fit on this particular occasion. And you have that sense of a wilderness. It's as if I'm in a dry desert somewhere and I wonder, where's God gone? And where's his voice to me? And is he listening to me? And does he still care about me? And am I still the apple of his eye? Does he still see me? Does he still know what's going on in my life? Sometimes those kind of experiences come when you're dealing with desperate circumstances circumstances that are beyond your human ability, and you don't see any deliverance in sight. You're praying, and you don't see any way out. You don't see any deliverance coming to you, <clears throat> and yet you're calling out, and you're praying out to God over and over, and your circumstances are getting more and more desperate every day that passes, or sometimes they come when you're overcome with grief and with sorrow. You feel all alone. You feel as if God maybe has left you because your loved one has gone and your friend has gone, the one that you look to so often and you looked up to and suddenly that person, that man or that woman is absent from your life and you sense the emptiness <clears throat> and you want so much for God to fill that emptiness, but you wonder, Lord, where are you? Where is that filling that I so desperately need to be able to move forward? Or maybe it's when you're ill <clears throat> and you go to the doctor. The doctor looks at you and says, I don't have anything else I can do for you. 
and you've been crying out to God for healing, and the healing doesn't come, and you, you want God to touch your body, but if something doesn't occur, you know the outcome isn't going to be good. And these kind of circumstances in life are often the very things that precipitate these wilderness experiences. When we find ourselves feeling as if we're out here in a desert, <clears throat> we desperately need a drink from a cool pond of water, from a cool stream of water, but there is no water in this desert. There is no relief. You just have this kind of a wilderness experience. If you've never experienced one of those before, the first time can be scary. It can be frightening to you. You can wonder, really wonder, has God left me or not? <clears throat> have I done something that's angered God and he's turned his back on me? You can wonder if you've been through those before as those of us who've been believers for a long time and have been through them at different times in our lives. We understand that God's at work even in those experiences of our lives and that he really hasn't left us. But, you know, it can be scary if you've never been through one of those experiences. New believers, you you. you think to yourself, you know, I remember when I trusted Christ and I remember the enthusiasm and the excitement and the thrill and the joy. I was overcome. It was just amazing. And then maybe a year, maybe two years or three years down the road, that same enthusiasm isn't there. That same excitement, that same thrill isn't like it used to be. And you're wondering, you know, what's wrong? And you're in one of those wilderness experiences. And as a new believer, it scares you. What's happened? What's wrong? Is something wrong with me? Well, let me begin by telling you that you're not alone when you've had a wilderness experience. <clears throat> Think of the man Joseph in the Old Testament. Merrill Unger, who Mary and I were privileged to meet, a scholar, spend time with. Unger's Bible Dictionary, he had a number of commentaries, a number of books that he's written, but in his Unger's Bible Dictionary, <clears throat> he says that Joseph, from the time that he uh, arrived in Egypt, sold into slavery by his brothers, and arrived in Egypt till the time he became second in command in Egypt was a period of 14 years. And during those 14 years, he was forgotten. <clears throat> during those 14 years, he was lied about. During those 14 years, he had to have wondered sometimes, where is God? If God's going to use me, and God has a purpose for my life. Why, I, why am I in this Egyptian jail? And he was going through a wilderness experience. Or think about Moses. <clears throat> Moses, his life is divided into three periods, three 40-year periods. The first 40 years of his life, he was growing up in Egypt. He was learning uh, you know, how to be a commander in Egypt, how to be a leader in Egypt. The last 40 years of his life, from 80 to 120, he was leading the children of Israel out of the promise, out of the land of Egypt to the promised land. But those middle 40 years, you remember where he was? I like to say that he was on the backside of a desert. He was tending his father-in-law's sheep. And even when God came and spoke to him out of the burning bush, I mean, he was surprised. He was startled. I mean, you have to have wondered what it was like in that wilderness, what he must have felt like. You know, where is God? Forty years of preparing. I thought I was doing the right thing when I took that Egyptian's life, and now here I am out here in the wilderness tending sheep on the backside of the wilderness. Or think about David. David had a wilderness experience. <clears throat> After God had 
finished with Saul. Saul had disobeyed him, and God had divested Saul of being the king of Israel. God sent Samuel to find one of the sons of Jesse who was going to be the next king. It's almost that Cinderella story. You know, he brings the oldest, the best looking, and then he comes to the second son and the third son and the fourth son and the fifth son and the sixth son and the seventh son. And all of the sons line up and they come before Samuel and God says, Samuel, no, that's not the one. And 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 finally, Samuel says, do you have another son? Oh, yeah, but he's the youngest of all of them. And he's out taking care of the sheep out in the fields. And he says, go get him. And he brings him back, and God says, that's the one. That's the king. But do you realize from the time that David was anointed to be king until David began rising to the place of king over all of Israel, do you know that it was about a 10-year period? And you know what he's doing during part of that 10-year period? He's fleeing from Saul. He's hiding in the mountains. He's hiding in the caves. He's on the mountainsides running for his life. He was having a wilderness experience. God, where are you? What what are you doing? This doesn't make sense. My life is out out of place. It's out of kilter. Things aren't happening the way I thought they should happen. Or Think about Job. Talk about a wilderness experience. Here's a man that was righteous and godly. Here's a man who loved God and loved his family. And yet in one day, he loses all of his wealth like a stock market crash, and everything is gone. And the next day, he loses 10 children. I can't imagine losing one child. Can you imagine burying 10 children on any given day? And then he loses his health, and he sits in the ashes, and he's scraping the sores with the pottery that's broken, and he's filled with all of this pain and this sorrow and this grief, And he begins to cry out to God. If you listen to the rest of the book of Job, he didn't have very good friends, by the way. His friends kept saying, you know why you're in this mess? Because you did something. God's getting you. You did something. And that wasn't it at all, was it? And yet here, Job was calling out saying, God, you come down here and tell me. You explain to me why this is happening. I deserve an explanation. And God never explained it to Job. But we know that on the other side of that wilderness, He received twice as much as he had previously. And Job went through a wilderness experience. Or or think about Paul. Paul had a wilderness experience. He met the Lord on the road to Damascus. And his life was dramatically changed. The resurrected Christ he met on the road to Damascus. And his life was dramatically changed. But what's interesting, it says for the next three years, he spent time in Arabia. That's a desert. In Arabia and in Damascus. That's a desert too, by the way. Arabia and Damascus for three years. What was he doing? Lord, you saved me. You you called me. You you commissioned me. Lord, what what am I doing these three years? It's, It's like a wilderness. And we don't know what all Paul was doing. He was serving in some capacity at times. I think he was studying the scripture. He was in his own heart as a Jew connecting those Old Testament prophecies to the resurrected Messiah that he had met on the road to Damascus. But the reality is he had to have been wondering, what's going on with my life? Three years, I've just gone by. Where are you, Lord? What do you want from me, Lord? Or think about Jesus. At the beginning of his ministry, what did he do? He went out into the what? 
into the wilderness. 40 days and 40 nights. And while he's out in the wilderness, he faces the tempter. Satan comes and three times tempts him while he's out in the wilderness. What are you saying to me? I'm saying to you that the wilderness experiences are part of the Christian experience. We, we go through those moments when the closeness and the nearness of God, you can almost feel it. You can almost reach out and touch him. It's as if you can hear him verbally speaking to you off the pages of your Bible. But then for something, for some reason, something happens. It may be nothing to your doing. It may just be the circumstances of your life or some setting that's going on in your life or you know, something else that's happening. And, and suddenly it feels as if the Bible's a closed book and, you know, heaven's brass and you don't sense his nearness. Where, where is he? Where, where, where is the Lord? He, he was here just a little while ago. Where did he go? Lord, Lord, what are you doing? I know over the past year and a half when we were dealing with pan, the pandemic, there were many times that I, I wondered, Lord, where are you? What are you doing? This makes no sense. This makes no sense to me. I don't understand what's going on. Why does God allow these kinds of experiences? And, and you can define your experience. Maybe it's not exactly like I've described it. Maybe it's a little different than I've described it. But the reality is, you, you know what I'm talking about. Those moments in your life where it's just sort of dry. It's sandy. There's an absence. It just feels like there's an absence in your heart and in your life, and you're wondering what's going on. It didn't used to be this way. You realize that sometimes God allows those kinds of experiences to prove us, to prove us, that is to test our faith. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be. You have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith being, hear that? The genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why does a teacher give a test in the classroom? Because the teacher doesn't know the information? Because he wants to make, or she wants to make sure that the student knows the information. And sometimes God allows these wilderness experiences in our lives. And it's a testing time. It's an opportunity for us to prove our growth, the spiritual depth that we've, that we've, uh, that we've come to in our lives. It's a time for us uh, to be able to put down the right answers, even if we don't feel those answers are true. It's a time to prove us. It's not only a time to prove us, it's a time to perfect us. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10 says, But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Don't you like that little word, perfect? <clears throat> it doesn't mean sinlessly perfect. Your wife may have told you she was sinlessly perfect, or your husband may have told you he was sinlessly perfect, but there are no sinlessly perfect people. You know what it means? It means to be brought to a place of maturity, to be brought to a place of maturity. He's not only proving us so that we can see where we are in our spiritual growth, but he's perfecting us. He's causing us to grow ourselves, to grow up in the Lord. He's perfecting us. He allows these experiences to prompt us. 
You know, these kind of experiences cause us to, to seek God even more, don't they? Lord, where are you? Lord, where are you? Because he knows that we need to seek him more diligently. And sometimes what we do is we take him for granted. We just assume he's going to be there, and he is going to be there. We just assume he's going to be there, and he allows the experience to prompt us so that we'll come back to that place of seeking him with all of our hearts. Uh, He allows these experiences to persuade us. Sometimes he uses these experiences as for us to look inward and for us to look to see if there's something in our heart that's displeasing to him, to check our lives. Lord, where are you? Father, is there something in me that needs to be made right that I can sense the fellowship that I desire to have with you? Sometimes he uses those experiences to prepare us. Actually, he always uses those experiences to prepare us. (laughs) You say, what do you mean by that? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. Do you hear what he said? You go through these experiences and you, you learn through these experiences so that you can take your experience and you can share it with somebody else. He comforts you so that you can comfort somebody else. Somebody has said God never wastes a hurt. God expects for that hurt to be turned into something that helps another person. And God allows us to go through these wilderness experiences to prepare us. But the real question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is how do we respond when we have these kinds of experiences? Because I know there's some people that are watching us And listening to me in the auditorium, you know exactly what I'm talking about because you're walking through it right now. You're in it right now. It's like you're in a desert and you're you're desperate to find some water somewhere. I just want just a touch of of the water, of the fellowship with God. Just where is it? And you're desperate for it. You don't want to live there and you're not going to live there. The question is, how do we respond to these kinds of experiences? Well, first of all, we respond by walking confidently. We walk confidently. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We don't live by our feelings, friends. We live by faith. And the fact is, the Lord is with us whether we sense his presence or not. Amen? He never leaves us and he never forsakes us, whether we sense it and feel it or not. You know, there's those moments when I preach sermons and I felt as if God were just enveloping me and carrying me along. Sometimes I didn't even know what I said completely when I got to the other end of the message. And then there's other times that I'm up here just churning away trying to, you know, can I just get something to say here? Do you know what you have to do? Whether you sense the presence of God or not, or you feel the presence of God or not, you just have to walk confidently knowing that God is present with you. If you're his child, if you've trusted his son Jesus as Savior, if you've come to the foot of the cross and seen the Savior dying for your sins, you went to the empty tomb and you recognize that he rose from the grave and you believe that eternal life was in Jesus Christ alone, if you've done that, you've done that, then I can tell you that he's with you. He's in you. 
He will never leave you and he will never forsake you. And whether you feel it or you sense it or not, he's there. F.B. Meyer is a name that many of you will know, but not a lot of the younger generation. He was a pastor of a couple of generations ago, wrote more than 75 books. I think a man that writes 75 books is worth listening to, don't you? He wrote 75 books. He was a pastor. And he tells a story in one of his books about a godly man, a godly pastor who was compelled to rebuke a man in the church who was an evildoer. And he was involved in some terrible, gross sin. Well, the result of that was that this man was now bitter toward this pastor. And he was angry at this, and he, at this pastor. And he felt ma- malicious hate toward this pastor. So he vowed within himself, I'm going to repay that pastor. Remember, this is two generations ago. In a rural America, <clears throat> in a rural setting, I should say, F.B. Meyer <clears throat> says that this pastor had to go make a visit. And to get to this particular house, he had to go uh, over a ravine where there was a fast-moving stream, fast-moving river that went beneath it, but you had to cross on some very narrow wooden uh, boards to get across. Uh, this man who was bitter and angry heard about the pastor going out to make this visit out in this rural setting, so he decided, this is my chance. When he comes back, I'll be hidden And I'll harm him while he's coming across. Then I'll throw his body into the river and it'll wash downstream and everybody will think that he's just lost his footing. And he ended up washing down the stream. But this man said, as the pastor came back across those wooden boards, there were two others that were with him. And he realized that he couldn't overcome them both and his plan wouldn't work. And as the three men passed him, one of them looked at the man who was hidden and he said suddenly he was stricken with conviction. He knew that what he was about to do, what he was thinking about doing was wrong and he contemplated it and he was convicted about it and it ultimately led to that man's conversion to Jesus Christ. Well, this man now wanted to get his conscience clear. So he goes to this pastor, and he he comes to the pastor, and he says, listen, this is F.B. Meyer talking. He says, listen, on that night that you came back from this house across that ravine on those very, very narrow boards, this is what I intended to do, except that there were others that were with you. And the pastor said, others that were with me? I was absolutely alone that night. And the man said, no, there were two others that were with you that evening. And this pastor then understood that God had sent his angels to walk along with him, to help him in that dangerous situation. By the way, my my guardian angels are long since worn out. Two of them have already filed for retirement. Yours that way? He came to understand that even if you don't sense it or feel it or know it, The Lord is with you. He'll even dispatch his angels to watch over you. What do you do? You have to walk confidently. You get up every day and say, the Lord is with me, whether I feel it or not. The Lord is with me. The Lord is with me. The Lord, say it with me. The Lord is with me. Say it again. The Lord is with me. Whether I sense it or I feel it or not in this wilderness, you're not going to always be in this wilderness. It was 40 years for Moses. It was 14 years for Joseph. It was three years for Paul. It was 40 days for Jesus. But listen, you're not always going to be in that wilderness. 
But you have to remind yourself to walk confidently. God is with me. Whether I see those angels or not, whether I see his presence and sense his presence or not, he is with me. The second thing we have to do is we have to wait patiently. And that's what Isaiah 40, 31 is about. I can't take a lot of time to tell you this, but the first 39 chapters of Isaiah are filled with God's judgment. Judgment that's going to come on his own people, the people of Israel, because they've been disobedient to him. They've disobeyed his law. And God says, I'm going to use a nation, a pagan nation. I'm going to send that nation as my punishers. And they're going to take you away into captivity. And that nation was Babylon. And it's judgment after judgment after judgment. But when you get to chapter 40, to the end of this chapter, the, next, the last 27 chapters of this book, you get to the, the 40th chapter, the whole tone changes because now he stops looking at the present and the past and he starts looking into the future and he says, but wait a minute, there's a day when you're going to be restored. There's a day when you're going to come back to the land. It's going to be an immediate restoration. There's going to be a future restoration that's still yet to occur, by the way, if you're watching what's going on in Israel. There's still a future restoration of Israel to occur, but he was giving them encouragement, and he writes to them in chapter 40. Listen to what he says, verse 28. Have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary? His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those, who are, uh, to those who have no might. He increases strength. Yeah, you've been over here in Babylon a long time. You, you might think you don't have strength to go back. You might think you don't have strength to go back and rebuild. But listen, God's the one who gives strength. Verse 31, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What an encouragement, right? What do you do when you find yourself in one of these wilderness experiences where you walk confidently? I know the Lord is with me whether I sense it or not. And you wait patiently. Do you know people make a lot of really bad decisions when they're in the wilderness? Let me see if I can illustrate it practically. You know, I I had... uh, I had more funerals last year than I've had any year of my ministry, and I'm on track to do that again this year if things continue. People, when they die, a lot of times they'll say, what am I going to do, what am I going to do? And I always tell them something that goes like this. For the first year, you shouldn't do anything. Don't make any major decisions, any major life changes in the first year. Give yourself time to go through the grieving process. Why? Why? You you need time to get through that wilderness, right? Right? You need time to get through that wilderness to be able to see clearly. You, You need to wait patiently until God moves you, until God says to do something. And that's what he's saying. We walk confidently. We wait patiently. But thirdly, we worship gratefully. What what do we do when we don't sense the presence of God? I know what a lot of people do. They just quit worshiping God altogether. They don't even show up for church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Can I ask you, what were Paul and Silas doing when they had been beaten and thrown into prison in Philippi and placed in stocks? What were they doing? Were they moaning and groaning through the night, accusing God? 
Someone has written, everyone will pass through dark valleys sooner or later. All will become ill. Some will become permanently ill. It's an illusion that this side of heaven, all diseases will be wiped out. For all of us, there will be periods of suffering, bereavement, discouragement, danger, and difficulty. There are those who give up their fidelity to God because they do not believe God is fair. They ask, what have I done to deserve this? Why are children born with severe challenges or born dead? Why is there cancer? Why me? The writer continues, how will we answer these and similar questions? How will we learn to sing songs at night? By having faith in the sovereignty of God. The world is not being ruled by chance, but by a God who is in control. Even the sparrow cannot fall, the writer says, without his notice. So he cares about us. Nothing can happen that does not concern God. Jesus, the writer says, sang in the darkest night of his life on earth. He did. At Passover meal, at Last Supper. The Apostle John sang songs of joy and praise while in exile on the Isle of Patmos. At midnight, David arose to give thanks to God. Paul said, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And then the writer finishes by saying, our lives will become stronger and our spirituality deeper when we learn to sing at midnight. What do we do when we're in one of those wilderness experiences? We walk confidently, we wait patiently, and we worship gratefully, but then finally we work faithfully. Why is it? when we're in those experiences that we decide, well, maybe this is the time for me to quit. Why is it after, you know, 15 months, we've decided, you know, I'm going to quit what I was doing before the pandemic began. We work faithfully, even in the midst of the wilderness experiences. We just show up and we do what we're supposed to do and we give ourselves to God and we keep going forward and we, we're obedient to him. Listen, you're going through a test. He wants you to see where you are spiritually. He's maturing you. He's bringing you to a higher level of spiritual maturity unless you check out a class and you decide to go a different direction. Years ago, John Walker, it's a name you won't know probably, but he was the keeper of the, light, of, of the light on Robin's Reef at Staten Island that was under the United States government. He lived there until, and, and he faithfully discharged his duties for a period of four years. One day he became severely ill and his wife sent <clears throat> to the shore and asked for the physicians to come and see him. The physicians recognized the grave situation he was in. They had a boat. They summoned the boat, and they took him to a hospital. As he was being carried to the boat, uh, he looked to his wife, and he said to his wife, mind the light. Mind the light. Even in those last moments, he said to his wife, mind the light. He was faithful to his trust to the end. John Walker would never go back to that lighthouse. But his wife went back. She was ultimately commissioned to, to be the keeper of that lighthouse. And for the next 30 years, living out in almost isolation, where that lighthouse is located, to guide those ships, to avoid those rocky shores, for 30 years she was there to mind the light. 
Can I just tell you something? That, that God blesses faithfulness. God blesses faithfulness. When people show up, even when they don't feel like showing up, when they're in a wilderness and they wonder, where is God? And it's not like it used to be. And things are different right now. And I don't sense his presence. And he's not as close as he used to be. And I read my Bible and I, I don't hear his voice like I used to hear it. And my prayers, they're just bouncing off the ceiling and coming back to me. And I go to worship and I worship and I wonder, you know, where is the Lord? Everybody else seems to be enjoying it. And I can't quite plug in with the rest of them. What do you do? You just keep. <coughs> you just keep being faithful. You mind the light. You mind the light. Not the time to let go of the plow and walk away and find something else to do. That's the time to step up and say, you know what? I'm going to be there. You can count on me. What do we do when we find ourselves in these experiences? We walk confidently Knowing that he's with us, we wait patiently until he moves us where he wants us to be. We worship gratefully, knowing that whether we feel his presence or not, we are supposed to worship and praise the God who is our God. And we work faithfully. We just keep our hand to the plow, and we just keep pressing on. We just keep moving forward. I can tell you, after almost 50 years of being a Christian, if you live long enough, you're going to have some wilderness experiences. I've had several wilderness experiences. There was a time when I wrote my resignation out. I said, I'm through. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I'm talking about here. I've got to go. Some this has been many years ago. None of you were here. during. Well, a few of you might have been, but <clears throat> you were the reasons. The ones of you that were here, they were here back then. <clears throat> I, sent it, I sent it out. I sent my resume out. I sent it to my home pastor. You know how many replies I got? Zero. Made me feel really wanted. <laughs> really contributed to my wilderness. Brought me relief in my wilderness, right? I've been through those wildernesses. This past year was a wilderness in a lot of ways. But you know what? God is still there. God is still true and real. God is still changing lives. He is still worthy of my praise, whether I sense his presence or not. He is still deserving of the songs that we sing to him, and he is still deserving of my faithfulness to the last day of my life. He's deserving of faithfulness.